0: AM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate.
1: Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm excited today. Uh, we have an awesome guest that's coming on, uh, young man who's working in uh, his, working on his PhD, but we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Trevor's going to be awesome, but let's bring Dan in.
2: Hey, good morning. Hey, bud. How's it going? It's going well, man. How you doing today?
1: Today's a hat day, Dan.
2: Yeah, well, I, I don't. Well, I guess I could throw a hat on if it'd make you feel better.
1: No, just you know, you know how it goes, but uh, today, today is definitely a hat day. So, uh, well, every day is a hat day for you. You don't want to burn. Oh, there we go. There we go. It's oh, man. I'm glad. I'm glad people some people aren't watching this thing. It's a little, you know, whatever,
2: but dude, they'll listen, they'll know. They know. As they say, as they
1: say, I got I got a face for I got a face and head for radio, not not so much for TV, right? But um, but anyway, hey. Uh, by the way, just to let everybody know that Dan and I at the end of the show today, so stick around. Uh, we have uh, we have an announcement to make, and uh, we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, it's exciting, it's new, and uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be better at the end of, of the day of what we're doing here uh, with our programming. Uh, but before we get into that. Trevor, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Daria. Yeah, (laughs) thanks. I'm happy to be here, man.
1: So, before the show started, Trevor and I were talking about weather, right? Because that's what emergency managers love to talk about, right? And he's from the Bahamas, but now is living in North Dakota. What a difference in the in so it's like what it's like what 80 degrees in the Bahamas and what what is it in North Dakota right now?
0: Yeah, it's like 70 in the Bahamas and it's negative it was negative 20 this morning so it's probably it may have warmed up to about warmed to negative 10 but (laughs) 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 so that's the current that's the current battle we're fighting today.
1: There's a reason why I live in Orange County, California and that's part of it too right there but uh, we're not here to talk about weather we're here to talk about realistic well we are here to talk about weather a little bit. Right, mm-hmm. you know. To be honest with you, we're, we're so the Bahamas, the, the the Caribbean islands in general, um, uh, they've been hit hard over the last few years uh, with some serious storms. And um, you know, what what are the? We'll get into it. Like, well, what are the islands doing to um, prepare for the next round?
0: Um, well. The Bahamas, like you said, we are part of the Caribbean, the wider Caribbean region, and we would have been impacted. The Caribbean in general would have been impacted by numerous um, devastating events. And I think the most devastating one, of course, would have been Hurricane Dorian in 2019 that impacted the Bahamas. But we have a history, we have a very intimate history with hurricanes in that region. Um, and as time you know, as we experience these impacts, we're learning, we're trying our best to adapt and where possible, mitigate. We have, uh, I think it would have been, we probably have a Caribbean Disaster Emergency Management Agency that would have been established, I think, well over two decades ago in response to, you know, this current context that we face. Um, national ministries and departments have been established well throughout the entire Caribbean region, especially post-international um, decade um, of disastrous reduction in the 1990s. But particularly in the Bahamas, um, after Hurricane Dorian, the government would have established an entire ministry with responsible for disaster management. I think that ministry would have been absorbed into the office of the prime minister under this current administration, but we still have well established the disaster reconstruction authority, which would have just came about post Hurricane Dorian. So we're trying our best to learn and adapt. But of course, the Caribbean, our physical geography itself, our location, our low lying, you know, our vulnerabilities make us very exposed. Um, this is further coupled by the fact that, you know, we're very, vulnerable economically as well. Most of the countries in our region are heavily dependent on tourism. And we were seeing how the pandemic would have impacted that um, low capacity, human technical capacity. So often dependent on international agencies to support us in most of our endeavors. But uh, this is just the reality of small island developing states across the region.
1: So with with that being said, you have... um, you have the, the islands being dependent on tourism. Um there's there's not a lot of commerce specifically on the islands, which means that things have to be shipped in, right? For supply chain-wise, you're you're you don't you are do not you do not have any like natural factories and stuff like this on the islands that are creating
0: no. products. No, on a daily basis, uh, more than ninety percent of what I eat in the Bahamas is imported from the United States. And the same can be said for most countries like St. Kitts and Nevis, a lot of a, a lot of other Caribbean countries, the same boss me. We depend heavily on imports
1: so when a storm does hit then supply chains are just are gone right at this
0: point yeah we we have significant supply chain issues um after an event um obviously um because of those reasons but in particular um, we also see an influx of resources of course from humanitarian aid during that time so we in terms of in terms of a food perspective or food security issue in the immediate aftermath of an event, we have not really seen that as a significant okay. challenge, largely because of humanitarian aid and assistance. But generally, the country has enough resources and supplies, you know, to deal with the event. The issue is where the impacts are. So, for example, if the impacts are on a rural island, now how do we mobilize resources? The logistical challenges of getting those resources to the island becomes a problem, not necessarily the lack of, but the management, the logistics behind it.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to get to a little bit too on the logistics mm-hmm. side of it because obviously, you know, uh here, uh you know, in the continental United States, um it's it, you know, we can drive trucks to a to a disaster zone. Uh yeah. where, you know, where in the islands you are asking for boats to come, uh which I mean, how long on a boat does it take to get safe from um Miami or or from Florida to to the Bahamas?
0: Um from Fort Lauderdale, probably to Grand Bahama. Um, and talking about a crew, maybe it could probably take someone six or seven hours. Okay. Um, it it, it we're relatively close, relatively close to one another. But when you're talking about immediate response, um, you know, immediately after the event, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to get resources because the weather may not necessarily be conducive for mm, it to get resources from one island to the next. Um, but in events like that, especially after Hurricane Dorian, the U.S. Coast Guard really—they really, really helped. They really helped us in terms of getting those immediate supplies to Abaco Island post Hurricane Dorian, um, as well as to get like immediate food resources to that island. The Coast Guard would have assisted with that.
2: Well, that's great, Dan. Uh, you touched on—you touched on an area that I'd like to uh, circle back to, and you—you know—you said you spend, you had your emergency management agency in place for approximately twenty years, and. Yeah, there's no, there's absolutely no way you can get out of the way of a hurricane. You can't prevent that from happening, right? But you, you said there's a lot of concentration on mitigation. Uh, let's talk about um, what steps that have been taken that help mitigate and help you back up and running uh, quicker. So, what kind of things do you guys do um, to make that a, a,
0: a, a reality? Um, I think I, I don't want to just, I, I won't just focus on mitigation, but I'll just focus on the grand scheme of things that we've been doing. Um, From an institutional perspective, we have tried our best to develop institutions to deal with disaster management, whether it be from a preparedness and response aspect. We have the National Emergency Management Agency. And in terms of recovery and reconstruction, we have the Disaster Reconstruction Authority. So we would have tried to do some stuff at an institutional level. Now, the problem with most of our institutions in any small island developing state, and this is not just exclusive or unique to the Bahamas, is the fact that these institutions lack technical and trained capacity. Um, so we, we're usually low-staffed with the trained skills and capacity. Now, in terms of adaptation or mitigation standpoint, you know we're slowly we're slowly coming towards the notion that we have to work with nature. Um, as um, in terms of recent years, you know, see numerous um, steps by the government to restore mangrove ecosystems. Um, maintain the health of coral reef ecosystems because they are natural buyers, of course, on an island. You um, have seawalls, we've built numerous seawalls. Um, the government is also trying to revise um, building codes. Um, I think after post-Hurricane Dorian, the Ministry of Disaster Preparedness, Management and Reconstruction, along with the Ministry of Public Works and the Inter-American Development Bank, we would have developed a Build Back Better policy. Um, it's still a policy at this point. Um, of course, it needs to be written into legislation. But just as a point of note, the Bahamas actually has one of the strongest building codes in the region. Um, and I and dare I say I even in the Western r- world, we have very strong and rigorous building codes. That's not the issue. The issue more so is compliance. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, um, compliance with those building codes, the resources of persons to actually meet those building codes and how best we assist with that. But we're trying. We're making small steps. Are those steps big enough? In my opinion, no. In the context of climate change and the realities of our warming world, I don't think so. But we're trying our best with the resources and capacities that we do have. Let's talk about climate change I like the, I like... Oh,
1: go ahead, Dan. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, let's talk about climate change for a minute because you just brought it up. Uh, I just want yeah. to follow up really quick. You know, um, are, are we seeing more impacts uh, from these storms on the islands uh, due to the fact that it's getting warmer and there's more storms? Um, or is this just... Um, are uh, storms just a way of life over in the Bahamas, anyway?
0: I I've often I've often explained this my um this, this this problem to people, and when the Bahamas has it would be very foolish of me not to say or not expect hurricanes to impact the Bahamas. The Bahamas we have a relationship with hurricanes dating as far back as the great hurricanes of the eighteen hundred. You know we have a very deep and intimate relationship with hurricanes. The issue for me, or the glaring issue for me, is that since about 2015, the Bahamas have experienced the impact of five major hurricanes, I mean in Category 4, or five hurricanes traversing through the country. I'm talking with Maria, Joaquin, Matthew, Irma, and Dorian. Over the past five years, we have we have seen significant explosive meteorological systems passing through our country. Now, obviously, Having a background in climate change between 2015 to 2022, that's not significant to make any causal statement towards climate change, but it indeed raises my eyebrow as a climate change scientist and also a disaster manager. Because the question now is, are we going to continue to expect Hurricane Dorian, forces of um, storms of that nature to impact our country? When I think back to my childhood, um, I remember storms like Hurricane Francis, Jean, Wilma, Those storms were very devastating and they were Category 2 and Category 3 hurricanes passing through the Bahamas. We're talking about Dorian, the Category 5 hurricane that just obliterated and decimated Central Abaco and East Grand Bahama. We're talking about Hurricane Matthew in 2016 that completely changed the landscape of West Grand Bahamas, the Category 4 storms. These are much stronger systems So when I reflect back to my childhood. So I think this is indicative like I said, I cannot make any causal statements, but I think this is indefinitely, this is definitely for me to raise my eyebrow. I think it's climate change has something to do with it. We know sea surface temperatures around the bottom is warming. We know sea levels are rising. We know we're losing our coral reefs to ocean acidification. We're seeing the impacts of climate change on a daily basis in islands, especially in islands across the Caribbean region.
2: Okay. Well, I want to follow up on um, on the mitigation aspect of things. Um, what is it that, that the government is doing or the agencies are doing to uh, better prepare and encourage mitigative efforts towards the, the citizens that live there, but also those who are, are uh, coming in as tourists?
0: Um, in terms of a preparedness standpoint, like I said, we have the National Emergency Management Agency, and they're really the preparedness agency in our ministry besides that the bahamas in terms of how we deal with emergency management our country is divided into districts and each districts you know they're charged with local um they they have local disaster consultative committees i would have worked on about two or three of those in west grand bahama east grand bahama i'm currently working with the island ministry in exuma and these committees are responsible for planning um, any sort of activities within their jurisdictions, and they're usually very active during blue skies times in terms of planning. Like I say, as much as resources they have, they do their best with planning, um, getting the local jurisdiction ready as possible, identifying resources. Um, other than that, that's at the local level. The central government is doing what they can in terms of NEMA, but I think I think where we do fall where we do fall short is in terms of mitigation and other preparedness activities. Um, What I see happening, and this is actually a point of focus for my dissertation, is what I see happening is across the world, and I I, I won't even label it to one particular area, is we tell people, including myself, I'm guilty of it, as a former practitioner, we tell people to prepare bottles of water, canned goods, emergency kit. But how really, how prepared does that make someone in the event of a hurricane? And we are seeing time and time again, in real life, in research, that that does not help anyone to be prepared. So, it's I think I think we now need to shift our focus in terms of unraveling this notion of preparedness, what it means to be prepared, and how is someone truly prepared, and how best we can um get towards that that notion of being holistically prepared. And I can speak to that um, um later on in terms of dimensions and. And, and how we need to look at preparedness.
1: Chris Burt um, has a question. He goes, does the corporate realm slash industry have an active role in mitigation and planning?
0: Um, that's a good question. I would say no. I say most of our preparedness, most of our preparedness and mitigative measures, if we're talking about structural and non-structural measures, they're really supported by the government of the Bahamas and any international agencies that assist us. For example, the Inter-American Development Bank. They assist with, um, they are just one um, of a, one regional entity that assists us in terms of preparedness activity, preparedness activities or mitigation actions. Very I
1: find interesting too is with the islands, um, it's almost impossible to, uh, it isn't possible, right? When you know a tornado, or, or a tornado, that a hurricane's coming. It's not like here in the States where you can get people to move, you know, into a whole different state, you know, specifically say Louisiana into Texas or whatever, right? Um, you're kind of stuck there. There's no way for you. To... The,
0: the, um, the ironic thing is for the very first time in the history of our country, I think it would have been in 2017 or 18 after Hurricane Irma, the government actually evacuated persons from the island of Inagua, which is the southernmost island of the Bahamas, to New Providence. But that, of course, was just because the path of that particular storm, it was it was—it expected, was expected to pass through the southeastern Bahamas. Now, the question that a lot of us have is, in the event that the storm decides to ride the spine of the entire Bahamas, the entire archipelago, can you really evacuate persons from one island to the next? and that's a that's a question that we are still trying to answer and we're grappling with
2: well the question too is should you you know that right
0: is, you yeah, know exactly. is,
2: it, is it is it something you should do and if you did uh, how many more lives could potentially would be lost be.
0: in the efforts to do so you know and we're talking about and we're talking about moving persons from one low-lying island to another low-lying island so it's 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 it's, it's, it's a very it's a big problem evacuation is a very very significant challenge in the Bahamas, especially when we're talking about island-wide evacuation. Just because of the geographical makeup of the country, the Bahamas, for those who, who don't know, the Bahamas is a chain of islands. We're, com- we're an archipelago comprised of over 700 islands and keys, and about 17 to 19 of those islands are inhabited. We have two. We have we have one capital island, which is New Providence. And then we have the second island or second city known as Freeport, Grand Bahama. The other islands are considered rural or family islands. And these islands is where you know, we have the greatest concern because they don't have access to, they have resources, but it's not as bountiful as it would be on the islands of Grand Bahama and Providence. So it's those particular islands that are very vulnerable and where evacuation would have to come from. I,
1: so on the, on the keys, like I, I interested about that because like people live on some of those keys right like individuals or whatever um i mean like when the when the when the storms come through do you guys check on them first or is, i mean like what's that what's that how do you like in the united states we go door to door right we're like hey are you okay or whatever right like what are you going to do to the small islands
0: uh that's a good question remember the we're divided into districts so even though we have island districts so for example east grand bahama sweetings key water key some other keys are part of that district, so I can remember during Hurricane Dorian, the island administrator, who according to legislation is responsible for disaster management, would actually go to these keys to tell people to evacuate, come to mainland, leave this key, come to mainland. You know, so we don't just leave them desolate. You know, <laughs> the way we, yeah, the way our country is divided, we still still find a way to incorporate incorporate them into planning and even it's time for evacuation. Um, so they do their part in terms of evacuating the kids, if There's persons decide to live. <laughs> right.
2: There's a, actually a great question that I like uh, that from uh, Kevin Coffee. He Say he'd love to hear about how hotels and resorts work with the plan, how to respond and evacuate guests during significant events, and does the government provide any regular training to the tourism industry in the area?
0: Um, I can speak to the that all all planning our our. Emergency. the United States. We have various emergency support functions. The Ministry of Tourism makes up an emergency support function. Um, they play an active role in planning. For example, I sit on the Grand Bahama Disaster Consultative Committee. We have tourism partners and stakeholders there. The same can be said for the National Planning Committee. So tourism is involved in it. Tourism is the bread and butter of the Bahamian economy. So I can bet my bottom dollar that they will be involved as best as our resources are available in planning, response, and the likes, and ensuring safety of 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 tourists, we 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 um, we consider tourism very important in our country, and we consider them a major stakeholder. So therefore, we're going to engage them as much as possible.
1: Um, a LinkedIn user, no no name on there, says that can you comment on your experience with plastic bottle pollution accumulation after Dorian?
0: Um, I am not. I I can't speak to that definitively in terms of plastic pollution post-Hurricane Dorian, but I know, I think it would have been in 2016 or 17, the Bahamas actually banned plastics. Um, We don't have, we we, we have a ban um, for plastic products. Um, You can't even find them in the grocery store now. Um, I think it would have been in 2016, we would have had environmental legislation that completely rids the country now of plastic. So mm. you, if you got, if any tourist comes to the Bahamas now, you'd probably see much significant use of paper products um, for straws, cups, plates. Yeah. But in terms of pollution, poster turkey Dorian, I'm not certain. Yeah, That's a
2: good question though. Uh, is question? Pure, pure curiosity, but I'd like to actually bring the, the, the conversation back to uh, you are heavily uh, operated or, or dependent on tourism, and how how does it re- how has the COVID uh, pandemic affected um, the way you've done things as, as far as the limit limiting of the travel and uh, limiting of, of people being able to come and and actually visit uh, the islands, but also the continuity aspects of the government.
0: Um, COVID nineteen posed significant financial challenges to tourism in the bombers. There was months when we did not have any tourists come to our shores. Now, the issue of any small island developing state in terms of diversifying economies is the fragility of our environment. Because now there's this whole buzz of we need to start exploring and digging for oil. And the environmental in the country, they're literally going crazy. Because when you're talking about that, you're considering you're, you're talking about harming the natural, our natural environment. And then to our natural environment is highly linked to tourism. So when you look at all, when you look at this conundrum from all of these perspectives, we, we like to talk about diversifying economies, but I always ask how realistic is that considering our island with a very fragile ecosystem and with limited resources, we have no, we have, I think we have a rag and, I, and it's not that plentiful in terms of a resource to export, or is it even that valuable at this current time? Um. So, Covid nineteen, I I think it just made us more vulnerable economically. Mm. Um, are we going? Are, are we looking at means to try? Uh, is the government trying to look and find means to diversify our economy? I most definitely think that they're aggressively going to look at that. But realistically, how possible is it? You have a country that was built on a tourism service industry from the 1950s. It's just how realistic is it? It sounds good to say that we're looking to diversify our economy, but I'm a person I'm driven by realism and being realistic. Like, how realistic is it?
1: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's definitely hard, especially you know, because if you think about even if you added agriculture or large, uh, I say large scale agriculture, um, I mean that's still going to have impact on the uh, on the ecosystems as well. So that's not even a positive uh, move forward as as much as you'd think it would be compared to oil drilling. They both have uh, uh, very negative impacts on the the ecology of the area.
0: Yeah, we do agriculture on, on one of the islands in the Bahamas called Andros. It's actually the largest island in the Bahamas. Um, We have an entire institute there, you know, uh, uh, are centered around agriculture, and marine resources, and they do some agriculture. But on a large scale, in terms of being an economic driver for the country, it's not there yet. Tourism, tourism is still there. Contributes to 50% of our gross domestic product, employs directly 50% of Bahamian people. It pays the government bills, pays the debts. Tourism is our, it's our livelihood. It's our way of life. And and you, you would have the same, if you spoke to a Barbadian, you would have the same story. If you spoke of, from the condition of ascension, you spoke to someone from Turks and Caicos, Jamaica, I promise you, you would have similar stories. And it's just our context. It's a context of a small island developing state.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, like, I, I've been out of the Bahamas a few times, and it's such a beautiful place. And, uh, you, you know, you would hate to see it be destroyed by, uh, by the oil rigs and stuff, you know? Exactly. Um, another question came in from Chris. Um, he asked, also in relation to COVID nineteen, um, has has impacted your mitigation and education efforts? If so, um, how have you overcome this challenge?
0: Mitigation act, education in terms of what? In terms uh,
1: of, I, I can't I can't clarify the question. Clarify, uh, <laughs> Chris, I totally get if to, to it. If you could post another, yeah, the, comments, question. The, the clarification, that would be great. But that's what I got. That's the question.
0: Yeah, but while if he, while he, while he um, seeks to clarify question, or if he does, you know, the Bahamas is open for business. We're um, there, COVID-19. The government is getting a grip on COVID-19. Um, Omicron, we're trying our best to get a grip on it, but we're most definitely open for business with regards to tourism. So I encourage everyone to come. It's better in the Bahamas, as you see.
2: <laughs> is uh, is um, access to the Bahamas only available through a uh, through, uh, ship, or is
0: it also available through air? No, you can actually get through the Bahamas by ship and by air. You can get direct flights from South Florida for sure. I know for certain from to Grand Bahama Island and to New Providence. Um, I know we have direct flights also to Island of Exuma. The Island of Exuma has direct flights from mainland, United States. Um, but you can get several flights from Fort Lauderdale, Miami. I think we have a flight at least from Philadelphia, direct from Philadelphia directly to New Providence now on Frontier Airlines. So they're Plenty of access points to the Bahamas, especially on the eastern coast of the United States.
1: Oh, Chris says outreach that's what he meant by uh impact of mitigation outreach. To that's what he's asking for.
0: Can, can you repeat the question? Yeah, so he, said he, goes,
1: he goes, Um, has it has uh COVID 19 has it impacted your mitigation education efforts? He's talking about outreach, like how, how do you overcome the challenge of, of outreach during COVID times when you're Trying to get people to mitigate and prepare for disaster.
0: Okay, I think th- that speaks to this whole notion of a multi-hazard context. You know, you know, de- we actually dealt with that during Tropical Storm Isaías. Um, I I was working with the ministry at the time, and that was a big issue because that would have been the first event that we would have experienced in a COVID world, and we were we were literally, you know, COVID, and this is in July of 2020, by the way when everyone was definitely afraid of covid still it's not in this time when people are you're a bit more risky with covid but then it was very difficult um in terms of getting getting supplies getting resources it was very difficult but like like the rest of the world we're adapting and we're learning and we're trying our best to just live within this context of covid-19 while considering our natural hazards and our inherent vulnerabilities
1: so trevor if you could, you know, talk it here to the emergency managers around the world, and uh, you know, if there's one thing that you want to tell them about responding to disasters, um, specifically, you know, within the uh, the context of the Caribbean and the and the island culture, what would it be? What, what's one takeaway that you think that they should go away from this conversation with?
0: Um, I think what, what one thing that one thing that I would like people generally to take away from this is that in small island developing states like the Bahamas, we we have a lack of resources. We have an inherent lack of resources. And we are most definitely dependent on our international partners, our international brothers and sisters to assist us um, in the aftermath of an event. Um, and most times when we see when we see the responses that we see is not necessarily because the country doesn't care government doesn't care or there's no preparation but it's just a matter of reality it's a matter of resources it's a matter of capacity and that's why, one of the reasons why i would have decided to do my phd in disaster management at north dakota state university for that fundamental reason because i believe that in order for us to begin to make any progressive change as a region we need to build capacity when we build hospitals we put doctors in them When we build schools, we put teachers to work in them. When we build banks, we want accountants. So when we establish departments and ministries of emergency management across the region, we need to put emergency managers and we need to build that capacity. And that's one of my goals um, in terms of being a scholar uh, of, of this field to try to build capacity for my region because I believe that's our fundamental issue. Yes, we're low lying. Yes, we're a chain of islands. We know emergency management has potential If we prepare for, mitigate against, respond to and recover from, there's potential in this notion of emergency management. But if we don't have the actors to do the business of emergency management, or we don't have the potential in the distributed function, then it's purposeless. So I believe we need to build capacity. And that's one of my main goals in terms as a professional, as a future scholar, um, as an academic, is to really and truly build capacity that's... That's going to be applicable to my context. Another thing I tend to see happening a lot too is we tend to take models from one country and impose them into our country. For example, we take the system or the approach. Like I tell you, the country is divided into emergency support functions, just like the United States. And while it may be applicable for the United States, or if it is applicable, some question whether it truly is is, is it going to be applicable to the Bahamian context? And so these are some issues we face, and it's because we don't have the persons who are capable of matching contacts with what's out there to bring it together to make sure it's applicable to our landscape. So that's one that's some of the things I really want to see happen in our in our region, in our country, is when we make applicable policies, plans and legislation. That was a lot. but (laughs) That was outstanding. Yes. Yeah.
1: Outstanding answer. Hey, Trevor, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, it's it's a pleasure to have you on um you know please everybody you got to reach out to this kid he is amazing um i've seen him speak before uh I, I think he's he is definitely a rising star in the field of emergency management and a rising star specifically in the academic side and the research that's going on we're going to hear a lot more uh from trevor and it's great to meet you early on in your career sir
0: great to be here todd thank you so much and that da- dan as well thanks for giving us your time today yes yeah, so no problem
1: all right dan so, so we alluded earlier uh, when we first started that we have some interesting news coming up. I'm not ready to break it completely, right? We got some stuff that we're working on. Uh, but, um, well, do you want to let them know, or do you want me to
2: let them know? Well, it's just uh, ultimately what we want everybody to know is that to to keep a close eye, check out Leaders Cafe. There's going to be a lot of information coming on on that platform. Um, but we're going to be expanding. Uh, in, in what we do, how we do it, and how we get you the information we, we've been getting you, and how we come to you, and how we support you. Uh, we want to um, expand on how we engage our audience, but we also want to expand upon how our audience engages with us. So there's going to be a lot of change coming, uh, a lot of, ch- ultimately a transition as well, but this is uh, coming very shortly. Keep your, keep close eye on the information we put out. Um, uh, uh, follow us on on LinkedIn, on Instagram, join Crisis or Leaders Cafe, um, formerly Crisis Cafe, because there's going to be a lot of information coming.
1: Absolutely. And don't forget about our newsletter as well. Uh, If you can uh, go to Substack and find uh, uh, the Emergency Management Network newsletter, uh, you can also find more information coming that way. But exciting news coming around. Stay tuned, right? Um, And uh, we'll see you uh, all next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And remember, everybody, please stay safe.
2: Stay hydrated.